If you're looking for feedback, be serious about wanting the feedback that you get. And once you get it, act upon it. That's LaShawn Greenhill. He's the founder of Sagens, and he's also the Code 2040 Entrepreneur Residence at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. This season of Techpreneurs has countless stories just like this. The one decision that I made that's had the biggest impact on my post-college career was to find two mentors. And so my first mentor, uh, Dale Freeman, I gave him my business plan. And he didn't even look at it. He took it and threw it in the trash and said, you're not ready. He said, what I'm going to do for you, there's a program, the Kaufman Fast Track program. I'll pay for you to go through it. It's $1,000, but you have to bring $100 to the table. Took me about four weeks to get $100. Actually, he went and paid for it up front. Then I had to reimburse it. And that's how I started my first company. You're listening to Techpreneurs, a podcast about the stories of tech entrepreneurs. My name is Clark Buckner. This episode features LaShawn Greenhill, including his story and how he's working to diversify tech and his community with the following four partners, community, educational, tech, and corporate partners. There needs to be a combination of those four areas at the table to do several things. One, create job shadowing and internship opportunities for minorities in technology. Two, to increase investments in minority-owned tech companies. And three, to deliver resources that allow underrepresented communities to learn about technology, how it works, and how they can create their own. We're happy to bring you these stories in this entire first season with the support of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, one of the Google for Entrepreneur tech hubs. You're about to hear LaShawn's full plan, but in the meantime, I want to let you know how excited I am to have you right here alongside me. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. Just go to techpreneurs.co or simply search techpreneurs anywhere you download podcasts. We started out as a marketplace to help small businesses identify RFP opportunities um, before those opportunities were awarded. Small businesses do not have the time, money, or expertise to identify certain sales opportunities, um, and specifically towards RFPs. And so I looked for an a app or a platform to reduce that friction. Couldn't find one, decided to start one. So we developed one, tried to put it in the marketplace, and couldn't give it away for free. So what we learned was a lot of corporations while they are interested in finding new suppliers, they do not have a good understanding or grip on their current supply chain and all of the suppliers that they currently do business with. So they asked us if we could provide them with something to help them clean up their current data. So we did that six, I guess that was around 2014, mid-2014. So now what we provide is a software platform that allows corporations to organize, track, and report all of their spend with women and minority companies. This is important because they have contracts that either require or encourage them to spend with those organizations. Right. So before we really dig into what what it's turned into, how did you, I know you mentioned 
one of the ways you changed and pivoted a little bit. Mm -hmm. But tell me a little more about your journey with this, with a startup that has pivoted and changed. How how did you make those decisions to change when you did? Oh, that was easy. We made those decisions based on feedback from the corporations. So we, we had one product that we thought they would like, which was the marketplace to identify uh, small business suppliers. And their feedback to us was, we love that product, but we don't need it. We need you to help us understand who we currently do business with before we add new suppliers to our supply chain. So we started Sagents in um, right at the beginning of 2014. It took us about 15 months to realize we didn't have the right product. Once we realized that, based on feedback, we decided to listen to potential clients. But the great thing I would say is while we were listening to potential clients, what they were asking for, we already had. But it was not the first product for us to sell. So the pivot didn't take a lot. But once we, once we realized what they were looking for, uh, we took what we already had and built it out to their specifications, went back to them and said, will you buy it? Bridgestone gave us our first contract. How did you, with, as an entrepreneur, when you have your idea, you have what you think your potential customers might like, how do you get the meetings to talk to you? Decision makers, big decision makers, especially someone like you, you're, you're selling to really large corporations. I would say I'm an anomaly. I'm a native Nashvilleian, and I've been able to build up a great network within Nashville. The reason why I say I'm an anomaly, those two reasons, but also because I, um, very early on when I moved back to Nashville in the year 2000, the one decision that I made that's had the biggest impact on my post-college career was to find two mentors or mentors in general but two specifically and it just so happens that those two mentors were very well connected to the corporate community so when i started sagents i just utilized my network wiring this backwards a bit how did you get access how did you first decide on the mentors or did, how did you come into <laughs> their path and, or vice versa i don't know no that's a great question so my first mentor uh dal freeman um, what happened was I had applied for a job at his company while I was in college. Didn't get it. And so when I moved back to Nashville, I wrote down a letter saying, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking to start a business. Would you be my mentor? A week later, he had me in his office. And you, and you, you did a motion of handwriting. So you, did you handwrite him? I literally wrote okay. him a letter and mailed it to him. Okay. <laughs> Never met him. Right. Okay. He didn't know me. I wrote. I still have a copy of it, and I wrote it to him. And he had me in his office, and that's how I met him. And then from there, he started making introductions for me. Um, but I do recall the first meeting I had with him. I gave him my business plan, and he didn't even look at it. He took it and threw it in the trash and said, "You're not ready." But what he did for me, he said, "There is a program that the Nashville Chamber offers called the Kaufman Fast Track." program what year is this by the way this was 2002 okay thanks so i take that back he flipped maybe through the first two or three pages and then i guess he realized then i wasn't ready he was like you're not ready and so he said what i'm going to do for you there's a program the kaufman fast track program i'll pay for you to go through it it's a thousand dollars but you have to bring a hundred dollars to the table took me 
about four weeks to get $100. Actually, he went and paid for it up front. Then I had to reimburse it. And that's how I started my first company. Wow. And your relationship after that, how, how did that progress? So I still speak with Daryl. So that was my first company. And I would say now I have Sagents, one of the first people that I went to speak with before I even started developing Sagents was Daryl. And that was in 2014, 12 years later. So uh, I still have a relationship with him. We still talk. He still gives me advice. So, yeah, that relationship is still in place uh, in regards to and, and the feedback is still harsh. Yeah. What do you say to others about when they get feedback and if it is going to be harsh feedback? A lot of feedback is very direct. And I think sometimes people are afraid to get that. So what, what, do, you, what mm-hmm. do you tell them? Don't take it personal. If you're serious about starting a business, don't take it personal. Understand that uh, the person that's giving you the feedback is coming from a great place and they probably don't want you to make the same mistakes that they make. At the same time, you're still going to do that. Uh, If you're young like I was and dumb like I was, some of the feedback you just don't accept and you still try to do it your way. But at the end of the day, I would say if you're looking for feedback, be serious about wanting the feedback that you get. And once you get it, Act upon. I like it. Excellent. What has been your experience around startup funding? So we, I've never raised startup funding, even with Sagents. Uh, we have only raised $42,500, and that's four years into the game. So I've bootstrapped it. My experience um, hasn't been fun, quite frankly. And the reason why, I, I can't say the reason why, What I think is that when it comes to funding, particularly funding for a software like mine, there are a lot of people that don't understand what we're trying to do. Investors like to invest in companies that they can help. So one reason why we may have a hard time raising funds is because people don't quite understand the supplier diversity space in corporate America. At the same time, uh, one reason why we may why we may not be able to raise funds, uh, and well, let me let me back up. Uh, we've been able to raise funds, and we actually are raising funds right now. We do have some investors right now that have committed to us, but we've had to get to a certain amount of traction before we've gotten to that point. Uh, so our experience with raising funds, we've had several talks over the last. Uh, since December of 2015, we've got investors on the table now that have committed, but this is our first true round of raising dollars since 2012, where we raised 42.5 from our investors. Um, but we've had to be very specific in the investors that we approach. That's what we learned from 2012, is that certain investors are just not interested in the enterprise space and particularly supply diversity space. What are some of the things that you're thinking about right now as it relates to a lot of these tech hubs are, are located in cities with high populations of students mm-hmm. who are being pipelined into the cities from either locally or, or uh, out beyond that even. Mm-hmm. Um, other thought, and this can even go back to high schools too, or even before that, I don't know. Okay. What do you think the, the interaction can be? What opportunities do you think have not been tapped into yet with, with that? So I'll lay my thoughts on about that um, based on um, a series of conversations I've had over the last two weeks. 
So in Nashville, let's take Nashville. We have four HBCUs, or historically black colleges and universities. They're not being truly represented from a technology or a business standpoint of view that I think they can be represented when it comes to involvement with the resources that we have, like the EC and other accelerators in Nashville. The second area where I think there can be a major impact is the public school system. I am a proud product of the Nashville public school system. And one of the discussions I've had over the last two weeks is with the director of our STEM academies within Nashville. And these are different schools that have different curriculums set up to expose the students to something other than your normal teaching classes, history, math, and things of that nature. So what I am looking to do is build a relationship with those HBCUs, the four that we have, the STEM academies within our public school system that will do three things, foster engagement, create excitement, and deliver resources to those areas. Because those are the areas that right now are not fully participating in the tech boom or utilizing the resources that are available to get ideas on the table that need to be expressed. And I give you a quote that I heard about a month ago. I was at a, um, a luncheon in Nashville for the Urban League, and the CEO put this quote up on the screen. And the quote was, the next gold rush is in the inner city because that's where there are a ton of ideas that have not been tapped. But the only way to tap those ideas is to deliver resources and create excitement and engagement so that those ideas can come to the table. So you have you have the raw materials, but you have to be able to mine them and, and, and create, create exactly. opportunities. How do you see the role of partnerships with tackling a topic like diversity in tech? And Code24 is a great example of this, and this, right. this is how this has kind of come together, but I don't know if you have any thoughts about about that, maybe. There are several partnerships that, that I think need to be created. So I, I've broken down our program into four areas. Tech partners, community partners, educational partners, and business partners or corporate partners, right? And I won't go through all four, but there needs to be a combination of those four areas at the table to do several things. One, create job shadowing and internship opportunities for minorities in technology. Two, to increase investments in minority-owned tech companies. And three, to deliver resources that allow underrepresented communities to learn about uh, technology, how it works, and how they can create their own. So those four areas, a combination of those four areas, I think can deliver the outcomes that we seek in terms of increasing participation for minorities in technology and reducing the wealth gap that we currently have um, just throughout the United States. So one of the final questions, what are, you, what are you most looking forward to right now with this new role, with what you're doing with your own company? 
What are, you, what are you excited about? In terms of this new role, what I'm looking forward to is bringing people to the table that don't normally speak to each other. And not it's not that they don't normally speak to each other because they don't like each other. It's just that they never had a reason to come to the table and collaborate. So I'm hoping to be able to build collaboration across the table with different partner organizations that can help each other out. In terms of my company, what I'm looking for, uh, looking forward to, we're about to release a new product. And this product dramatically expands our marketplace, reduces the amount of time of implementation, um, and increases our revenue, our number of revenue streams. So that's what I'm looking for in terms, uh, looking forward to in terms of my company. Fantastic. Well, how can someone learn more about Sagents, follow along with what you're doing, your journey, all of that? Sure. So uh, our website is www.sagents, that's S-A-G-E-N-T-S.com. Um, so you can check out the company there. Also, you in terms of the Code 2040, you can go to Code 2040 dot org learn more about it um, if you're in nashville just come down to the national entrepreneur center ask for me or anyone that is a staff member down there we can get you whatever information you need um, with regards to what we're trying to do in our local community to bridge that gap fantastic thank you so much i appreciate you sharing your, your story and what you're working on and i know we'll i get the privilege that we actually be in the same city as you so we, we can keep this conversation going more uh, we can access a little bit faster to, to keep I think we should yeah we should do something ongoing it's up to you you know I'm here it's up to you I think it's a great idea yeah. we should do that uh, back, back at home we'd love to awesome thank you so much alright take care thanks for listening this season of Techpreneurs is powered by the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in support of the Google for Entrepreneurs Tech Hub Network find out more about the EC and how to become a member at ec.co to learn more about Code 2040 and how to apply to be an entrepreneur in residence, go to code2040.org slash entrepreneurs. We hope you join us next time when we talk to Tara Reed, CEO of Collecto. She's also the entrepreneur in residence at Grand Circus in Detroit. She shares with us that the same strategy that has helped her overcome the risks to launch her own tech startup has enabled Collecto to scale faster. People of color tend to have just like more conservative backgrounds where like there's more pressure to do the traditional nine to five business route. And so uh, I think that there's just overall more pressure to take that path as opposed to this really, really risky thing of saying, I'm gonna learn how to code now, or like I'm gonna learn how to build software now. Like who, you know, who does that? Thanks again, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Techpreneurs.